This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. Uh, this week's episode is a chat with Eileen Shaken, who created The L Word and also is an EP on um, Empire, Handmaid's Tale. Look, if you didn't watch The L Word, I am going to ask a bunch of very specific questions to Eileen Shaken, and you're maybe going to be confused. But if you did watch The L Word, this is going to be a very satisfying episode of the podcast for you. I got some real questions answered that I've been wondering about for a very long time. And um, we talked a little bit about what to expect when the L word comes back because it is coming back. So please enjoy this episode with Eileen. My, my dream come true. Talking to Eileen Shaken about the L word. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still First of all, this is, I'm very excited that you had some time. Thank you for making time. I'm delighted to be here. On on this show, I always have folks introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? I'm Eileen Chaikin. Yeah, there it is. What what else do you want? Well, sometimes I'm, I get curious about like how people would describe themselves, like what they'd mention in their career or from their personal life or like I identify as, you know, what like whatever is no. your intro when you think about yourself. Well, my usual intro is in this context. Uh-huh. So it's, I'm Eileen Shaken, creator of The L Word, executive producer of Empire and The Handmaid's Tale. But I would also say mother of Tallulah and Augusta, um, wife of Luann. What, what else? No, those are, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's. I could even say daughter of Marcy and Chick Chaken. Yes. Well, where <laughs> Marcy and Chick Chaken live? They live in Tucson, Arizona, and they're both in their 90s, and they're kind of going strong. Oh, wow. Is that where you grew up? No, I grew up in Philadelphia. My parents retired to Tucson. That's kind of convenient. I mean, a a closer move this direction. Because Tucson, that's like drivable, a long drive, but it mentally means a lot to me if you think about a drivable distance. It's true. Luann and I drive it once a year. Yeah. We see my parents more than that, but once a year we actually get in the truck and drive to Tucson. I mean, everything that you just said is... Already sounds amazing. Getting in a truck and driving to Tucson. That's the name of a movie. We've already sold it. We've sold it now. Um, and yeah, you are the, I happened, I did know that about you before you came in here, that you created the L word, if you can believe it. Yeah. I, uh, you have a big, you're in a big moment right now in terms of that show. Um, it's coming back. Yeah. It's exciting. It is exciting. It's really exciting. What, what is your daily life like right now on that? Well, lots of work, not a lot of work. No, because- I'm not doing it. Right. Um, It came about because, well, not because, but I'm in an overall deal at Fox. I was producing Empire at the time. Um, I had written The Handmaid's Tale pilot and then not been able to do that because I was producing Empire and in an overall deal at Fox. And I just had this 
whim. And that's how I always talk about the L word because the original conception of it was whimsical. But I had this whim that 10 years later, it should come back. It wasn't my whim exclusively because Jennifer, Kate, and Leisha had a lot to do with it. They had been lobbying me for a number of years about bringing it back. But I had a whim one day to pick up the phone and call my friend Gary Levine, who's the president of Showtime, to say, I think you should bring the L word back. And he said, well, you can't do it. You're in an overall deal at Fox. And I said, no, I shouldn't do it. I know I can't do it, but I shouldn't do it. We should find some new, very gifted young lesbian who is engaged in the world in a way that I might have been when I first did the L word, who still dates, basically, who knows and truth is that Marge is married and about to have a baby, but she's 32. She knows what's going on in the world. And um, I said to Gary, that person should bring back the L word. And we'll, you know, it'll still be the L word. We'll keep many, if not all of the original characters, but they're 10 years older and there's a new group of women who are part of the ensemble and who, you know, come forward and and kind of tell their stories. I, I couldn't remember if it had been announced because I know who's t- helming it now, but then you just, so it has been announced and it's like public. That Absolutely. It's Marja Lewis-Ryan. Yes, Marja Lewis-Ryan is doing it. It's It was announced that it was Marja, I think maybe even a year ago, maybe wow, more. Wow, I just, yeah, but I, but, I but did now, know. Yes, yes, now yes, yes. she's really doing it. Yes, she's she's doing it. And um. You know, she's somebody who I first became aware of because of her film, The Four-Faced Liar, yeah. which I like saw years ago. Um, so I'm excited that she's doing it. And um, I also, when you when you thought in your mind, like, this has to come back, but it's not me, did you think, but I think it's this person? Like, was that a thing in your mind where you thought you knew who it was? Or was that a process to figure that out? It was a process. I didn't know who it was. I met Marja on a feature film project in which um, TriStar, I think it was, brought together a number of writers to work on like different aspects of developing a concept. And we were in the room together and I was really impressed by her. I just, and I knew nothing about her. I hadn't seen her film at that point, but I loved her and I was impressed by her quickness and her wit and her writing. And I didn't think of her initially, but when we decided to go ahead and do this, when Showtime decided to go ahead and do this, they said, let's hear some takes. Let's not just say, will you do this? Let's have a number of people come in and tell us what the new L word is and get a sense of of what people are thinking and what's going on in the world. It was interesting because we listened to a number of takes um, and they all covered many of the same points. I mean, they weren't identical, but it was clear that there was a, a kind of collective idea of what the show should be in, what what year is this? 2000? I think it's 2019. Okay. But like straight up, good question. Yeah. Like honestly could have stumped me. It's just that I looked at a cal- calendar like right before we started. All right. Um, that makes sense to me because I think I could... I could like guess, you know, I could kind of, I feel like put my finger on the pulse of those changes. I would imagine, because it it does feel, 
I mean, do you want to talk about any of that? Do you want to tell me what the, like some, what some broad strokes points were when people were coming in? Yeah. I'll talk a bit about it. And and, I mean, I, I see you in the midst of those changes. Yeah. Here I am out in the world. Yeah. Yeah, You see what I'm doing. It's, yeah, Yeah. it's all around. Yeah. Um, You know, the thing that I think I could have told you even before hearing these takes, but that became more and more apparent was that the show is more diverse, um, more inclusive, um, and more dedicated to authentic representation. Cool. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I remember you and I had a conversation one time and you were telling me a little bit about like why you wanted to make the L word to begin with. And I, and what you just said, that wasn't the things that you said to me in that initial conversation. I don't know if you, like, maybe this is just, but you were talking about like, I wanted to make something sexy. I wanted to make something with like sexy and then with sex in it. You know, I wanted to like show this sort of unseen population. And I think I mean, for me, um, the age that I was when I started watching The L Word, and I actually think this is still true, you know, like even just the choreography of the way that the actors are like making out with each other or having sex, like the way that their bodies lean into each other, um, that was certainly not something that I had seen elsewhere. So like that in itself at the time um, held so much space. And then now 10 years later, like, because we had that space held by the first iteration, it's like, we don't need that space held as much right now because you already held that space one time. I hear you. Yeah. I still, and, and one of the things that Marja and I have talked about a lot. And one of the reasons that I think she emerged as, as the person that should do this is because she shares my love of portraying sex and talking about sex and being sexy. And it'll be different. It'll be her version. It will be, I think, as you're kind of intimating, uh, an evolved version of that. But it's still going to be a sexy show. And it's still going to be a show in which sex is front and center on a pretty regular basis. I think well, thank thank God, first of all. No part of me is is telling you to, like, shut down the sexiness in the L word. Uh, not at all. I just mean that you don't have to recreate the wheel. Because, like, you yeah. already did it one time. So if the whole point of it coming back was, like, this is a sexy show, you know, like that, it, it just has to have other things mixed in. Yeah. And know? I think that just, just to keep on talking about sex for a minute, because- Let's keep talking not? about sex. I've got, honestly, 51 minutes we can continue to talk about sex, <laughs> specifically lesbian um, sex on the L word. Go. <laughs> you know, I think it doesn't have to be a fantasy of lesbian sex. I mean, we tried to be authentic about lesbian sex. I was very interested in portraying the nuances of lesbian sex and the things about lesbian sex that nobody ever would have guessed. And- but but there was a certain fantasy and and a thing that I wasn't even aware of. But pe- people started talking about you know the long arms. I mean they have such long arms. How could they be doing that? What are oh they? Oh my god, that's really funny. I actually think the L word is one of the only examples where that's less true. You know what I call that? I'm like okay, so it's not the L word. It's a different show. Uh, I call that skydiving. That's when one character is orgasming and n- n- and all hands are visible in frame. Where uh-huh. you're like. Doesn't that happen what? to you on a regular what basis? What is happening outside of frame that 
these two women are orgasming because nobody's hands are being utilized. Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I thought it was pretty realistic sex. I Am think, I wrong? No, <laughs> I think it was pretty realistic sex yeah. for the most part. Yeah. But people talked about long arms and long I kind of know what they're talking about. <laughs> I can think of a couple of scenes. Um but I thought they were great Could scenes. you name a scene where you thought there was long? I don't mean to put you on the spot. I just wonder, because I think I would know it. I think I would know a lot of these scenes. I'm pretty sure okay. that it was in the pilot uh-huh. and it was the first Bet Tina love scene, which oh. is one of my favorite love scenes. I mean, I thought it was a fabulous and very realistic love scene. Oh my God. Um, but, but I mean, there's, there's a story behind that scene. Should I tell it? I right, please. Did you hear my voice crack with excitement? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, please. We shot the pilot, the first version, and where did you, you know, shoot it? I just want to ask Vancouver. that question. Vancouver, on yes, a, on a soundstage, which is where the whole series was then shot. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. And, and we were still finding the show, and we knew that it was a sexy show, and we were going to portray sex. But even and and you know we were a bunch of lesbians for the most part making the show, but showtime looked at that scene and said, you're not doing enough here. I mean, we're just, we're seeing the tops of these women's heads. This is showtime. You can do much more here. Awesome. Great. And I love this note. Yeah. (laughs) And I and the director, Rose Trochet, both, both, you know, pretty um, avowed lesbians, were nervous about how we were going to ask the actresses to do this. Um, I mean, you know, we were both a little intimidated by Jennifer Beals and we didn't know how we were going to get where we wanted to go. And so I finally called a meeting with Jennifer and Laurel and I called them into, I think it was my trailer. It might've been my office. I don't know, but we sat down and I kind of fumbled around this concept, you know, Showtime loves it and they saw it, but they think they want, and they went a little more. And Jennifer goes, oh, we should both come at the same time. You're like, I'm very glad that I hired you. You're we're worth every penny. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should. Yeah. And I mean, we, you know, she said, that's what's going to sell this scene. This moment of these two women reconnecting. It's going to yes. be sexy. It's going to be intense. And then we figured out how to choreograph that. And I oh think it did it. I mean, it certainly did it for me. But I think that that's the scene people talk about when they say, what was actually happening? It was... Huh. Okay. Well, I mean, I'll have to rewatch that scene. It will be difficult to find time in my schedule to prioritize that. Just kidding. I'll do it immediately. Um, but you know what? I was having I was having dinner. Uh, Rose was one of the folks at this dinner. And casually, she just said, like, to a table of people um, that Bet and Tina's pool was not outside. And I, like, had to continue to talk about that for the rest of the dinner. Like around the table, I think other people moved on and were able to discuss other things. But when I found out that Bettentina's pool was on a soundstage, that really was what I could talk about for the rest of the night. Can you confirm this? I will absolutely That is an indoor place? It. We Our built sets on that show were amazing. Good gravy. We had incredible production designers and we built that whole little kind of Spalding Square complex on a soundstage two or three houses, two backyards, a fence, and a swimming pool, and this vast, um, I I forget what it's called now, the backdrop thing. It has a name. Um, If if I were a filmmaker, which I supposed to be, I would know the name, (laughs) Um, but I can't remember what it's called. And, And 
oops, you know, and that thing would change from day to night and we would, and, and our um, DP would light it for sun and oh rain God. and, and it just, it, he sold it. It was so incredible. Yeah. It like really is incredible. I have to say, I, I, cause I knew the show had been filmed in Vancouver. I really thought that there was, that I was going to like someday be invited to a pool party at that pool, but it was only three feet deep. So. Oh, why are you ruining my dreams? Well, well, and, and you know, to, to be more specific, the pilot was shot on a location. So the scene oh. in which Shane, Shane has sex in the pool. Thank you for telling me this, because that, that can't be a three foot deep no, pool. That was a real pool in, in the real world. <laughs> These are important questions. Also, have you ever, outside of the pilot, seen anyone wearing the shirt that Shane is wearing in the pilot, which is sort of a backless leather vest? Could anybody else pull Dude, that no, off? No, absolutely not. Uh, it's a great character detail. Congratulations. <laughs> um, this, is, this is rad. I want to talk a little bit about what it felt like when you got this job and you were making this show, because you seem like... I wish I actually wish listeners could like see your face because as you're talking about this, you're like lighting up. You're talking about, you know, this show that you got to make. And can you imagine anything more fun? No, it sounds I mean, I've gotten to make some shows. I um, or I've gotten to make a show. I've gotten to to do some acting stuff. But I feel like. Well, was this your dream show? Like, I know you said it was like a fun and whimsical idea, but was it like your dream show also? I didn't have a dream show okay. because I didn't do television. I was a writer, firstly, um, which is a person that sits in a little room by herself and thinks things up and is all full of angst. <laughs> sure. And I was a movie writer primarily. And I had worked in television years and years before as an executive. So I worked on a couple of shows. I, I But as an executive, I put together two shows that I'm actually quite proud of. Um, Twin Peaks, I was integrally involved in putting together when I worked for Aaron Spelling and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when I worked for Quincy Jones. But that was my experience as tele in television as an executive. Then I started writing and I wrote for 10 years movies, just movies. And I had written a movie for Showtime um, called Dirty Pictures. And it was the first thing I ever did that actually played on a TV, not in a movie theater. And then I had this whimsical idea to do a TV series about lesbians. And I didn't know anything about what that entailed. And I didn't have a dream show. I wasn't trying to be a TV writer or a showrunner or any of that. But, and this is really making a long story short, but Showtime wound up doing my whimsical TV show about a bunch of lesbians in, you know, in LA. And when we went into production on it, Gary Levine, who's, who, who was the original executive on the show and is now the president of Showtime, said to me, you can run this show. And so I did. So That's wild. Yeah, I didn't have a dream TV show, but it certainly became my, my dream job and my dream TV show. When you were working um, for Aaron Spelling, Quincy Jones, how did... How did you see that track going for for yourself? Like you were an executive. What did you think you might be building towards next? I thought, how the hell did I get caught up doing this? I came to Hollywood to be a filmmaker you know, many years ago, fresh out of college, got a job, 
to learn about filmmaking and wound up on an executive track. And it's just like getting on a train and not being able to get off. But I learned a great deal in the course of that. And I got to work on some really stunning yeah, projects. Yeah, I mean, those are iconic. All of the all of these projects that we've talked about so far, like the, I mean, each one of them is iconic. So that's that's a a testament to. What do you think it is? Is it like the fact that you, that you sh- like how, how? What do you use to account for just all of these successes? That's not. This is not normative. This is unusual. <laughs> Who wants to be normative? No, not me. Yeah, not me. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm I'm incl- I'm tempted to say a lot of it is luck, but. It's also just what I gravitated to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, among my character traits is a stubborn kind of um, tendency to keep pushing for something that I love and believe in. So I'm not saying that either one of those was a project that I conceived of and pushed through, but when they came to me, and both of them were things that came to me, um, I worked very hard to keep them on track and I believed in them and helped to see them through. Yeah. I mean, that's, I can, I, I can uh, relate to having that trait, like a stubbornness for following the the thing that you really believe in. I think that that, I don't know. I, I think for me that maybe comes from like, I, like my dad's a small business owner, I think, and I wasn't raised I I very often am glad I wasn't raised in Los Angeles. I was raised in Chicago. It's cold. It's fucking dark. And uh, you need to eat a sandwich because it's like you got to have some insulation on your body. And, um, you know, everybody's crabby, but in a good way. And this this really intense work ethic. And I think that I kind of came out here with a work ethic that included confidence in starting my own projects. Or if I see a space and I want to be in that space, I just tend to move that move into it. And I think a lot of people like that's not, I didn't make that in myself. I'm a product of, you know, my family where I was raised and all this stuff, but it's a very, uh, it's a, it's a, a huge asset. I, I agree. I think it's a huge asset and that those are the kinds of skills and life experience that I think play best in this world of story making. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because I think sometimes people come out here and it's like, um, if your goal is to work for the thing that already exists almost, like that's not going to be super helpful in the long run. It's like you have to be working for the thing that doesn't exist yet. And again, I don't, that's a luck, that's a luck of the draw sort of situation. Do you know where this comes from in you? Like this sort of stick to or, you know, moving into a space that's open? I don't really, and and I mean, I'm sure that it comes from many things. Um, my background isn't altogether dissimilar to yours. I no connection to the film business, the entertainment business. Um, my mother was primarily a mother, um, and then, but but she was very entrepreneurial, and she had all these hobbies and started a business collecting minerals and selling them, and. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and became quite successful at it. Not like hugely successful, but as as mineral collectors go, um, she had a rock shop and it was a big deal in our little suburban town. And my father was a traveling salesman who sold children's clothes. Yeah. I mean, those people are both, right. You're constantly creating your own reality as opposed to mm-hmm. having a specific 
time card you punch and a boss that tells you what to do. Yeah. But I think that on top of all that, and and in part imparted to me by my parents, was this fear that I have no business trying to do what I do. And there's no way that it could possibly work. And so there's this constant drive and something bordering on, you know, it, I'd like it to be determination, but sometimes it's desperation to sure. just keep doing it. Oh, well, okay. Then I have a place I could take that because I'm curious if any of that is like also like revenge. I just mean like the look at me now kind of thing. Like what was it? What was it? When did you when did you come out? Were you out when you had those jobs? Aaron Spelling, Quincy Jones, were you out at that time? I was out at that time. I came out after college. I came out when I was 23. It was after I moved to LA. Where did you go to school? Rhode Island School of Design. Oh. RISD, that's a really yeah. interesting school to go to because RISD it's like a, super specific and Yeah. And 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 I mean it's a fabulous school. I'm now a trustee at RISD and oh, awesome. I yeah. and one of my daughters was just graduated from RISD. Hey, congrats. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's a I went to school in Boston and yeah, RISD is a like great reputation and people doing um a lot of like self-directed projects, things like that. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I mean it it's it's awesome in that way, but I was at RISD a long time ago. Mm. And Although, you know, I mean, you can't get gayer than an art school. Um, <laughs> when I was at RISD, it was not quite, I mean, there, there were plenty of queer people there, but we didn't call it queer. And, and it wasn't, I mean, it, it was it was a really different time. Could you openly date if you were If you college? were gay? Yeah. Um, well, I wasn't. Yes. Um, when I started at RISD, I would say no. And by the time I left RISD, I mean, I saw a real change. And it was much more, I mean, the the, the most visible change was among men. There were boys who started as freshmen who were completely closeted. And many of them didn't know that they were gay and, or at least weren't, you know, weren't coding as gay. And by the time we were graduated, they were out and open, and some of them quite flamboyantly out. Sure. And it was a big change. Um, women, much different. I mean, there was a lot of kind of, you know, friendship petting, but I don't know what else went on, and <laughs> I wasn't taking part in it. <laughs> I Just last night I was leaving a place. This has nothing to do with anything, but I had been talking about being queer, um, at an event and a woman stopped me as I was walking out and said, just so you know, I have also kissed women. And that just, that just, sometimes it's nice to know in 2019, there's still people that I'm like, I actually was kind of talking about something a little different than that, but <laughs> like straight up high five. Like, I don't know what, you, what response you want, but like, thank you for telling me. I appreciate it. Kiss some uh, more. Yeah. Kiss some more women. Cool. Thank you for telling me. Um, well, I went to, like, I went to school where you, so you couldn't come out at my college. Uh, this was, I went to Boston College, Catholic University, yep. couldn't come out. Oh. Also couldn't get uh, Showtime because you couldn't get, like, premium cable on campus. Wow. So, like, the L Word maybe was on, wait, when did it debut? You are going to know the answer to 2004. this. 2004. So I would have been a- Wait, no, am I right? Yes. I think you're- I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, 2004. Yeah, so like I would have been a senior, but I couldn't get it, you know, till then I think I 
I think like, I'm so sorry to tell you this to your face. I think I saw it for the first time because my second girlfriend illegally downloaded it. So like, I'm so sorry. It was the only access point I had, but um, LimeWire doesn't even exist anymore. It's, I remember LimeWire. Yes. That's cool with me. That's, yeah. Okay. Wow. Absolved. See it how you see it. Absolved of one of my biggest um, shameful where I harm my own community by stealing several episodes of the L word from the internet. But yeah, anyway, so yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't come out either. So like there was a similar, and even by the time I graduated, there weren't that many people that were like, but did you know you were gay? I started dating a woman and, but like I was in a class of 8,000. So we were the two lesbians I knew about, like she and I, and, and by the way, I only knew she was a lesbian because we kissed each other because I went up to a woman and said, I kissed a woman. No, um, because we kissed each other and then we realized that we would, we should date. That was it. That was it. That was my whole community. So like it really, before I was able to watch the show, I would read um, the recaps and then look at like the community comments. Cause this is like that time in the internet comments weren't so terrible. Like that's like a newer thing than I think we yeah. talk about. Like that used to be kind of a community. It was a new thing. Yeah. I mean, when the comment thing first started happening, I was kind of confused by it. I didn't know whether I was supposed to care, whether I should engage. It was right. just really new and kind of shocking. And it seemed harsh to me, but it's so gentle and sweet in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Wow, it is gentle and sweet, like compared to what we, well, okay, so then, oh, I can take this in so many directions and I'm excited about all of them. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! You're talking about engaging with response. The show launches. How did your community respond to it? Like, the people you actually knew, your friends? That's a tricky question. I mean, my real and close friends celebrated it and loved it, but there were very mixed feelings in the community. And I think they were mixed feelings that got reflected in a kind of ripple way out in the world. It was, you know, are you really going to expose this about us? Um, what right do you have? Are you getting it right? That should have been my story. I mean, those were the negatives. And of course, then there was, you know, and I mean, overwhelmingly, it was positive. It was this, yeah. the, the glee, the joy at finally being represented, seeing these images, having romance portrayed through our prism and not having to transpose ourselves into someone else's experience, all of that. 
Yeah. I mean, I guess I just asked that question because it's very easy to forget that you're a real person who makes this show and then has to live in our community having made this show. And that's a very specific life, you know? I mean, I sometimes I go to Sometimes after a show, if I'm performing stand-up, sometimes there's, like, after, I will, um, I'll engage with the audience and, like, meet people. And if, like, let's say that they're having, like, a very fun time um, and a lot of people want to wait and take a picture and everything and they seem really kind. And uh, sometimes I have this feeling, like, I wish I could be here. You know, like, I don't, not because I think I'm, like, so awesome or something, but because it's, like, a community that I would love to participate in. Like, I look at these people that are there at the show with a bunch of their friends or with a date or whatever, and I'm, like, up on stage by myself, and then I'm just going to, like, go back to my hotel room. And meanwhile, like, they might invite me to a bar or whatever, but, like, I'm not going to go to that because, like, they don't even know me, and I'm, like, a stranger, and I, you know, I— and I, it, I know exactly what you're saying. I had to ask to be invited to L-word parties. Oh, my God. Your friends, they had L-word watch parties? L-word watch parties. Oh, my God. And I didn't even know about them and wasn't invited. And, and I had to ask. And eventually, I mean, they're, you know, the biggest L-word watch party, I think, wound up being at this club on Sunset Boulevard called The Falcon. Do, did you ever? I d- does it exist anymore? I don't think so. Yeah, I never went to it. No. But it was, you know, it was a big one. I mean, they happened yeah. in different places, but that was the biggest one. And when the show was at its height, there were lines around the block. Oh, yeah. I used to go to an L-word watch party in Chicago. But yes, go ahead. Yeah. But I had never been and I kept hearing about them. And I finally said, well, can I go? I mean, will you take me? Oh, my and, gosh. And will they will they be kind? So if when you went, did you like ask the establishment and be like, I want to come and get introduced? Or were you just like a citizen watching the show? I was just a citizen watching the show. Um, Eventually, I came to know the women who threw those parties, and they treated me very, very nicely. And and then there was this kind of Hollywood thing that happened, which is I got a reserve table in the front, which was kind of <laughs> gross and creepy, but fabulous. Yeah, that's great. And then everybody like knows you're there, which is also kind of cool or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's that's interesting to because I I went to L Word Watch parties. I remember um, like the closest thing now uh, I think is like drag race parties. Like they do watch uh, parties for RuPaul's Drag Race, and what they have in common is there. It's like a lot of vocal reaction. Like when I used to go to the L Word parties, it would be like. Yeah, people be like hooting and hollering and like, you know, like wolf whistling and all that stuff. Was that the experience of the yeah. place you went to? Yeah, and so you're was... like standing there watching people, you know, have that sort of response. Is yeah. that gratifying? It, it, it's, yeah, it's thrilling. I mean, it's, and it's not a thing that happens often when you're a filmmaker or a television maker. It happened to me on Empire too. And there is nothing more viscerally exciting. I mean, I remember sitting in a, or standing at the back of the theater at the Ace Hotel when an episode of Empire was screened. And the 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 volume of the audience's reaction was just intoxicating. Wow, that's so awesome. That's, um, wow, that's really awesome. I had a very weird, like, early LA experience where, I wonder if you remember this screening or if you were there. We didn't meet, I don't think. On the Fox lot, they were debuting like their, um, it was sort of like, I think maybe it would have been like their diversity slate. Like it was like, these are our new shows. Empire was one of them. You hadn't debuted yet. There was like 
some doctor one that Wilson Cruz was in. And there was another one. It was like a, it was a screening for executives to come and familiarize themselves with the new shows. Like Taraji P. Henson was there. I, for some reason, this is, I I hadn't been in LA for like one year. I got hired to do warm up while the executives were sitting down. And also we were on the set at the Fox lot of like New York, New York. We were like on New York street outside. There were low flying helicopters giving like the news. And I was standing there trying to do stand up for executives who literally want me to be quiet, like forever. Uh, That was a very fun early job that I had, but I remember, do you remember this event? No, I don't know if I was there because I would remember you. Yeah, I don't think you were there because we didn't meet. But first of all, thank you for saying you remember me. That's very nice. Um, But what I, the other thing I remember about it, it's one of those moments, and I'm sure you've had so many of these. It's like Taraji P. Henson showed up. It was like I got to see her like the day, the last day her life was normal. Yeah. And I've had that experience a couple other times since then with mm-hmm. like I'm running into somebody or I'm at a dinner party and their movie's about to come out or whatever. Um, but like I remember how she showed up at the screening and how she was with the cast. And then I and then I now know, you know, what ended up happening for her. And yeah. it was a wild it's wild to see those moments for somebody. Yeah. And it was not I, I mean we knew before the show debuted that she was incredible in this role. And we were already talking about Cookie and I would, you know, I would get from the studio and the network as I was kind of developing episodes, more Cookie, more Cookie. But we had no idea, none whatsoever. She was a great working actor who had done a lot of wonderful things but had never blown up. And the minute that show debuted, it was unlike anything that I had seen for a very long time. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty meteoric. And I've seen her in so many things. Like I've gone to support movies that she's in, projects that she's in, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I love that she's able to carry like an action role or, or a drama. It's it's pretty amazing. On the L word, was there anybody? Well, like Jennifer is already who she is, you know, when you're making that show. Laurel Holloman, had you seen The Incredible Two Adventures of Two Girls in Love? Of course. I'm not yeah. telling you anything you don't know. Is that, is but, that? But, but she, Laurel wasn't cast for that reason. She wasn't tell cast me. Because That's she'd what I was going to ask. Yeah, she wasn't cast because she'd already played a gay character. She was cast because she was right for Tina, but also because she had chemistry with Jennifer. We yeah. did, there were two actresses, I won't say who the other one was, but two actresses who were our finalists for that role. And we did chemistry reads. And we looked at them with Jennifer and Jennifer weighed in and we just talked about what was going to work and what felt real and rich and like a a marriage. And it was Laurel. Well, that is something that I think, you know, because it's one show, I think, of course, there are, like you were talking about some of the criticism that you've heard. Like, of course, there's criticism to make because anytime there's one thing, there's always going to be things that you could say, why doesn't it have more of this? Or why did, you know, yeah. like, cause that's just true. Same for like books or movies or whatever, because, because a finite thing is not infinite. Um, but I, I do think that something that I don't hear talked about a lot is how right the chemistry often is between the characters on the show, specifically as it serves our community, because mm-hmm. 
you know, so often, and it's frustrating, it's frustrating. So often it'll just be like two random actors thrown together for uh, lesbian roles, very specifically for lesbian roles. Yeah. And, um, and it's upsetting because it, it doesn't reflect um, the trueness of our feelings for each other, the things that we talk about outside of the bedroom and like the ways that we look at each other. And I think that that has a translation to, you know, folks not being able to understand why anybody would yeah. actually identify as lesbian or, or be able to live a life that way. Well, and, and that's, I mean, that that's the, the thing that we undertake when we make a show, any show, but in particular, when you're representing a group of people who haven't been represented, yeah. you undertake the responsibility of authentic representation. And it's also what makes television. I mean, whether it's a lesbian show or not, especially in an ensemble show. It's about the chemistry of the cast. It's an intangible thing. You really never know before you make it whether it's going to work. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's alchemy. That's making art, right? Yeah. You just, you can have a great script. You can have a great director. You can have all the right things and somehow it doesn't coalesce. And when it does, it's a glorious thing. And the L Word cast, definitely coalesced in that way. But there was that constant vigilance on our part, particularly among the lesbians behind the scenes. <laughs> the lesbians behind the scenes. Keep going. Yes. Well, I mean, why do you know one story I would tell? Because we were talking a minute about a minute ago about, you know, actors that blow up and you yeah. know, things that you do and don't anticipate. Shane. Um a, a little-known character that hardly matters to me at all. No. <laughs> Obviously, iconic. Iconic. And I had a very vivid con concept of that character. I knew exactly who she was. She was people I had met in our community before. It was so specific and so hard to find in an actor because this character had never existed on television before. And there weren't a lot of actors who had played her or could play her. Mm -hmm. And we saw lots and lots of people for the role of Shane. And I just wasn't seeing it, wasn't seeing it. And Kate Menig was in New York. I didn't know who she was. I had I hadn't seen the television show that she had done. Young um, Americans. Young Americans. I like watched that in real time. Like I watched it when it was on. And oh. I was like, there is something about this character I like. But anyway, yeah. yeah. I hadn't I I didn't know who she was. I hadn't seen that show. The New York casting director put her on tape. And I remember sitting at home on a weekend afternoon looking through all those casting tapes and seeing the same thing over and over again. And then there she was. And I was just blown away. I couldn't believe it. And I just said, this is, this is it. I mean, I never thought we would find Shane. Awesome. <laughs> but the network guy, not Gary Levine, but the guy who was, you know, and a, a man I'm very fond of, his name is Jerry Offsay. He was the president of Showtime and he put the L word on the air, but he was a straight white man. And when we brought Kate Menig into audition, he didn't get it. And he said it, he said, I don't get it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I and the one or two other lesbians behind the scenes said, trust us on this. And we actually had to make a deal. And I won't tell you what the deal was, but it was we had to cast someone else 
whom he liked for a different role. And he said, if you give me that, I'll give you this, but I don't get it. I don't, I just can't, I, I don't know who is going to relate to this. Who is oh my gonna... God. Maybe off the air, you'll whisper that in my ear and I'll never tell a soul. We'll, oh. we'll, we'll decide after uh, the show. Okay. First of all, follow-up question. When you saw this tape, did she have her haircut or did you give her that haircut for the pilot? She had it. She Great. Came, great answer. She came fully formed. Okay. Great answer. Um, also, uh, Shane and Carmen, I think, I mean, talk about chemistry and, and things that I think changed a lot for uh, representation on TV. Like those two actors on screen anyway, I have no mm-hmm. idea you know, off screen, but like on screen anyway, they read so much as people that would be interested in each other. And um, like they would also care about each other. And and obviously they're, they were super sexy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think like of the show, that relationship still stands out to me as one that, you know, just impacted me enormously watching it because they, they had like so many different elements going on. I think about like the quinceanera part of that storyline. I think about like the cheating, you know, I think about like all of the things that, um, that that showed that like, I just have not seen anywhere ever since. Do you have a favorite couple from the show? I won't, we won't tell any, it's not the actors. It's not the people, but do you have like a favorite couple? Um, I have different favorite couples at different times in different relationships. I mean, you know, there was a period of time when I loved Bet and Tina um, Shane and Carmen are definitely among my favorite couples. I also loved Alice and Tasha. Um, I mean, it's like poor Tasha, who is like so great. It's very difficult to come on, on to come in on the heels of a Dana situation and then succeed. You know, like that actually, that's a great relationship. You're totally right. And unfortunately it has this like dark shadow of Dana. That's true. That is cast over it. Ah, Dana in the waterfall, you know, it's tough. Did you ever make any decisions? Because I know there was huge. You you must have heard from people on that. That was like huge backlash. I still do. Yes. Yes. (laughs) In the grocery store constantly. Yeah. I mean, I I still hear about Beth and Tina and Dana and Dana much more. um, And I mean, even close friends, people like, you know, just have never forgiven me. And I've said this and I, I say it with uh, just with a certain amount of self-awareness. It's it's the one choice that we made on the show that if I could go back and redo, or well, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it differently, but I regret it. I mean Oh sure. I I it just caused so much pain and I don't want to be responsible for causing that kind of pain. And Yeah. I, yeah. I mean I guess you know, when you take a lovable character and you put them through something that's real, like she like gets cancer, that's like a real thing. Um, I think that must be difficult because you're trying to portray, like, it's not like she uh, took a stray bullet, which like happens to so many lesbian characters that are introduced and then they like kiss another woman and then like yeah. two bullets come in through two separate open windows, kill both of them. And that's the end of their well, existence on the, the show. The consequences of being a lesbian. Yes. 
the consequences from for, of being a lesbian. But that's not what you did. That's not what happened with Dana. So I can imagine you're, I mean, so, you had like some real pain about well, the- Well, and we wanted to tell, and you know, that story came about because at the beginning of every season, you know, the writers get together for their first writers meetings and start to talk about what stories they're going to tell. And it's usually a confessional. It's just, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I've been through. Who's, this is what's, and, and a number of us came in after that hiatus, talking about stories of loss. You know, I had a friend, I lost a friend this year, someone, and, and we wanted to really talk about that and talk about it from the perspective of our communities because it's there's so much more to it because of the way in which we become family to one another. The loss is, is so poignant. And if we're talking about how we form families, then we want to talk about that loss and what it means and how we take care of one another in the face of that kind of a loss. And in order for that story to be as meaningful as it can be, we chose a character that was beloved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember even listening to like the DVD commentary and it would be Aaron and Leisha and Kate who seemed to have such a good rapport. Truly. And so then you, like, when that happens, it's like, I I don't, I'm like, I was a, you know, stranger to them, feeling for those actors too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I think they were like really good friends with each other. Like, it was like, you know, um, but it turns out it also is television. <laughs> That's also true. Apparently. <laughs> okay, final episode. Like, I mean, I want to hear... I didn't realize this is how this was going to go. Like, I kind of thought maybe we were just going to talk to each other like people, but is it, how do you, is this fun or is this yeah. terrible? No, it's fun. Like, do you like talking about it's, the it's show? It's fun. I love talking about The L Word. I'm not sure I want to talk about season six. I will, but I'm not sure I want to. But um, yeah, no, I love talking about it. And, and, and it's especially delicious to talk about because there's going to be more. Yeah, because there's going to be more. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm curious. It strikes me as uh, very difficult to end. Like, in your mind, as you're going into that final season, how did you feel about it? Were you ready for a break? I know, I know, like, TV production schedule, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, you're away from the people that you love and your friends. You are not at all a regular person that has your needs met. Um, were you, like, ready for the show to end? Were you devastated? Which yes and somewhere no. in the middle. I mean, I was I was expecting it to end for a very kind of particular and and somewhat arcane reason, which is that we were still in that era where where cable was relatively new, and the conventional wisdom was the good shows go for six years. Yeah, which is how long we went, and it was, you know, on broadcast television they go on and on, and the quality dwindles, and and you just can't be as good anymore. So you know, this show probably will go for six years because after that, we, we just can't be good anymore. But I still wasn't ready. Um, still was sad and and you know bittersweet. But we also were confronted with with a proposition in the sixth season, which was, you know, we usually made 12 or 13 episodes a year. And Showtime said to us, um, we're, we're going to do another season. We're, and we didn't know for sure that we were, but, but we're only going to give you eight episodes and do something with it. And so we came up with this concept that 
who killed Jenny concept and tried to frame the whole season with it. And, and, you know, although we still told the stories that we wanted to tell, the season was overshadowed by that concept. And it's not my favorite season of the show. And I know it's not a lot of other people's favorite season of the show. I prefer to think of the show in the context of love and romance and all of the things that the L word was about and not a about, you know, a murder mystery um, about who killed Jenny and whether you were ready for Jenny to be killed or not. Uh, I mean, Jenny's a tough character, but Jenny's put through a lot of stuff. Like, I can't, I I have often wondered what that was like for Mia Kirshner, just because, like, um, I don't know what it's like to inhabit something that is that, like divisive. I mean, I guess actually that's not true. I'm a gay, I'm a lesbian stand-up comic. I've gotten like hate my entire life. So I do actually know what that is. Um, but I, but my thing is my own creation, like versus as an actor, she's showing up to play a part. Jenny was Mia's creation. I mean, really in <gasps> a lot of ways. I think, I think this Mia, is like so interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, I think Mia Kirshner is an amazing actor mm. and a, a, a fascinating person complex, brilliant. I love what she did with Jenny. My original conception of Jenny was much simpler. Jenny was the straight girl who realizes she's not straight and dumps her boyfriend and takes us into this experience. It was, you know, a coming out story. I mean, she was the character that came out and she was supposed to be the most accessible character in the show. And she became complex because Mia's complex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say one of the more uh, opaque characters in terms of being able to, like she has, uh, contains multitudes, as yeah. it were. And and it was exciting to go on that journey with her, but we never would have gone to those places if not for Mia. Huh. Well, that's pretty. I love all of these inside details. Thank you for making my dreams come true. <laughs> I want to ask you, because we, we never asked this because, and we, we never finished this because um, I started having one of the best experiences of my life, which was being able to ask you detailed questions about the experience of making the L word. Um, but you said that um, we were talking about when you started and whether or not you were out and then making the L word or transitioning into that. And I, I honestly can't even, you, you said you came out right after college. Yeah. I didn't actually finish answering your question. Um, I, when I came out, I never went back in. And it wasn't intentional and it wasn't brave or bold. It was just that I had no idea how to do it differently. So in my professional career, from the moment I came out, which was when I was in my early 20s and had my first job, which was as an assistant in the training program at CAA, hmm. I was out. Um, I wasn't politically out. Um, you know, I mean, I wasn't out as an activist. I was just... That's who I dated. That's who I was. That was what I did. And I didn't know how to do anything else. Sure. Well, I mean, I hear that. I, that's my story, too. I mean, I, I was, I've always been out since I started. Like, I, you know, I came out when I was, like, 19 and um, started doing comedy professionally at 22 and have been out the whole time. So there wasn't 
ever a time when when people didn't know what they were getting. It has changed, though, over the years for me, for sure. Like, at first, I... Because it used to be that, like, queer comics were completely in separate rooms. And so I prided myself on being like, I'm a mainstream comic. Then I realized there might be some internalized homophobia in that. Like, but I could also... I could also remember that my community exists because I really started for like the first five or 10 years of my job. I was like performing for straight people to be like, hey, do you want to know what lesbian sex is like? Like, here's some really good jokes about lesbian sex that are like detailed and interesting. But then I realized like, also it's okay if if like lesbians get to laugh at these jokes. You know, I I just, I felt like I was evangelizing about like our goodness because of where we were as a country. And then I felt like, well, I think maybe I need to, also take care of my own community. Not, well, not and leave you my just, people behind. You just articulated the evolution of the L word for me too, because when I pitched it, although I knew I wanted to make a show by, for, and about lesbians, I sold it as, let me tell you some really cool things that you never knew about lesbians. And I told a dildo joke to a straight male executive <laughs> in the pitch room. And that was what sold the show. It was like, Oh, wow. (laughs) More. Tell us more. Um, And, you know, we were doing both of those things. And the world has changed a lot, but actually most of the world is still a lot like it was. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I find that's true. It's interesting now because um, a lot of my audience is now queer because I I play like a bigger... uh, like maybe I play like a theater as opposed to like a stand-up club where it's just like comedy, you know, and like earlier in my career, uh, random people are walking in. They don't know who's going to be there. I'm on a bill with a bunch of other comics. I'm talking about queerness and, you know, changing minds and hearts and stuff and telling dildo jokes that they're like, we can't even believe it. But um, now it feels very much like I perform so often for this heavily queer audience that, you know, self-select to come. Mm-hmm. And that's rad. Like, I really, really love it. And I do think sometimes I, um, sometimes I miss, I I would not, I wouldn't change a thing, but sometimes I do miss the, like, look on people's faces. Yeah. You know, when uh-huh. you're, when you're, um like, blowing their mind. Yeah. And I still, it's not like I don't. Like I get, I get other things now that I didn't used to get, but I, I'm like n- never. Uh, it's not the same. That like, we can't believe you're even real. <laughs> like that's, you know, it's different. I think there are still minds to be blown, yeah. but, but there are lots of people that know a lot more. Yeah, um, a lot more about the details and right. nuances of of different experience, and I mean, what what I find now is. Although I still want to do a lot of those same things, I also, you know, now I want to tell a story about love. You know, now I want to kind of welcome you in in a different way because still there are so many of our stories that haven't been told. And there are so many ways in which we still are not represented. I'm not saying that the L word wasn't about love because it was very much about love. Right. But it's like you can be more, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I'm just talking about something I'm doing. I'm telling a love story now. I'm working on, uh, you know, as well as the L word being out there, as well as other projects. And most of what I do has some queerness about it, but a pure and, and kind of intense, passionate lesbian love story. I haven't done that. That's something I'm doing now. 
awesome. Can you, are like, when you say that's something I'm doing, I mean. It's early stages, but it's just, you know, it, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm saying this by way of saying we're, we're certainly not done. No, I agree. I mean, you and I are on the same page about that. I think when I look at, well, I'm very, I'm very like steeped in queer media. It is, you know, I'm like obsessed with it. I love to see movies or read books whenever something is new. And I still find that, and this is really specifically for lesbians. Um, most of our stories are um, either they're uh, period pieces. Like Carol is, is, I had like a Christmas Carol party and I had all my friends over and we watched it and I made, you know, the certain things or whatever. That's awesome. That's, it was even, you know, the price of salt written in the time. That's amazing. You know, like that's rad. And that's not now, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's that, or it's, uh, we're still making coming out stories that are centered around like the teens. You know, I think about like the miseducation of Cameron Post yeah. and I care about these properties so much. I literally have seen the movies and I've also read the books and I've also listened to the audiobooks. Like that's how deeply I care about yeah. all this, but like, where's, you know, where's, where's the love story for now? This is something I, I, I mean, it's, it's actually almost weird because I, I actually do talk about this with yeah. friends and stuff too, because it there doesn't seem to be that thing ticked off yet. I, Some I gay agree. men have gotten that. Yeah. And not, not that, not that like a million times over, but they've no. gotten it a couple times. They've gotten it not enough, but I would, I would watch more of those. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, we, we also, I think it, the media world is so much more segmented now. Mm. There's, it's, there, there are, you know, queer venues, queer spaces that are self-sustaining and valued, but, we're still, you go over to that other world, you know, a, a straight, a, a so-called mainstream world, and you still need to take people by the hand and take them on our journey. And both of those things are legitimate and they should both be getting done at the same time in different contexts. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. I, I, well, well, we're on the same page. There it cool. is. Um, before I send you back into your day, I just want to ask you to shout out a queero. And we talked about this. This is like, um, like a person or even could be a piece of media or something place you used to go that made you who you are today. I'm, I, I don't have an answer for this and I should, and now I'm going to just like go home and meditate on it. And, and the name that's coming up for me now, I'm not sure is really representative. And it's probably just because I've been reading and rereading her. I'm going to say Virginia Woolf. Oh, yeah. But I'm not sure that it's indicative of, of sort of my, my queer personhood or my journey. What are you but reading right now? I'm reading Orlando, okay. of course. But I also was reading about Virginia Woolf this morning. It's the only name that's coming into my head. But I also remember years ago, there was a BBC miniseries um, long before The L Word and long before many queer stories had existed. Um, and I can't even remember what it was called. It might have been Portrait of a Marriage or something like that. But that told the love story. It's actually between Vita Sackville West and another woman. It wasn't Virginia Woolf. Mm but I remember it as seminal lesbian kind of inspiration for me. Janet McTeer, I think, played um, Vita Sackville-West, and, and it was the most romantic, sexy, lesbian miniseries. And, and I think that was kind of, that, that's a queero 
Yeah, I I just recently got a room of one's own. It's like, or, or, is that what it's called? A room of your own? Yeah. A room of one's own. Yeah. It's on my nightstand. I realized I had never read it, and I was walking past the bookstore. I got it. That's what I'm going to read next. So um, I'll let you know, you Please. know, what I think, because I think know. it really matters uh, what, what I think about this. But how have I not ever read that? So, yeah, I'll catch up. And we, we could talk about that. I look forward to All it. Right. Next Thank time you so we'll, much. Just, we'll, we'll just talk about Virginia Woolf. That sounds great. We've got the topic for next episode that we do together. Thank you so much. Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you.